Merry Christmas, RCC. Oh, my name is Ben Seaman, and uh, I serve here as our lead minister. And we are uh, excited that you're here to celebrate Jesus uh, with us today. Man, growing up, one of my favorite things to do during the Christmas season, I'll, I'll date myself here, is when my parents uh, took myself and my two young brothers, we piled in our 93 Ford Aerostar van. Anybody remember one of those? You, had, you drove those maybe, you were in one, or you don't remember, right? We, uh, we, would, we would get in our Ford Aerostar van, and we would cruise the neighborhoods in, uh, in Cincinnati uh, to look for the best lights, right? We're looking for how many lights can you put on a house, how ridiculous does it look, do you have any funny things in the front yard that would be offensive or make my mom roll her eyes? All of these would be points that you would get for the Seaman boys if we cruise past your house. Uh, I did bring one photo. This was the house to see growing up. It was about 10 to 15 minutes from where my family lived, about five minutes from my grandparents' house. And it was just so nice to borrow somebody else's utility bill at their expense. Uh, the really cool thing about this house is what you don't see, which at the end of the driveway was um, sort of a, a garage, a shed, and that was, that was Santa's workshop. And Santa would be there, Mrs. Claus would be there, there would be ca uh, caffeine and sugar and candy canes and, and hot cocoa. It was a kid's dream. When the Christmas season rolls around, a good indication that it's happening is that you're going to start seeing lights on people's houses and even in their living rooms before Santa comes, before presents are opened, and sometimes even before the first winter snowfall, lights are on display. Light is one of the strongest images in the biblical text that something worth hoping for is coming. Now, if you've been around RCC uh, for the month of December, you know that we wrapped up a Christmas series called Hope for Everyone. And we believe that without labels or strings attached, that if you come to RCC, we're going to give you a lot of Jesus. Not religion, not morality, not guilt trips, but a lot of Jesus. And we'll let you wrestle with Jesus, and we'll let him offend you. We'll let him encourage you and love on you and also discipline you. We really believe at RCC that there is hope for everyone. But we always don't believe that, do we? Uh, this past year for our church has been really hard. Some of you are um, going through the holidays for the first time without a loved one. Uh, we've had a lot of deaths in this church over the last couple of months, and so this is a holiday season of firsts. For some of you, through divorce and broken relationships, the family members that brought you together through marriage and the relationships that you enjoyed will not be enjoyed this year. It's really hard to believe that there is light at Christmas when we feel like there's so much darkness. Darkness is a theme that the Israelite people often experienced which is to say, we experience as well. And what I'd like to do today is take us to a Christmas text all the way back in Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah describes the reality for God's people in this way. 
Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. I think that's not really what that word is. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't have to have my act together, okay? I'm just trying to follow Jesus. <clears throat> but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the uh, Honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness, check this out, have seen a great light on those living in the dark, uh, living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. In this text, the writer talks about darkness in two different aspects. He says darkness is equivalent with evil. We get that. We get that. We, we get that darkness Scary movies is synonymous with evil. Uh, in this text, there is political and civil unrest. Uh, it's just not darkness in sort of an abstract, artistic way, but there is famine. People are killing each other. It's, it's time of war and rage and division. Kind of like when Jesus was born, right? You had Herod, who was hungry for power, there was homelessness. You have refugees on the run looking for asylum. You had, you had um, people running for their lives. There was a lot of evil in Isaiah and in the first century. But darkness <clears throat> in the Hebrew scriptures is also portrayed, uh, oddly enough, as ignorance. Now, l- let me show you what I mean. In verse... Um, In verse 2 of Isaiah 9, the writer says, People walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, and a light has dawned. Now, here's the situation, friends. Um, For these people, when they're living in darkness, in utter confusion, they kind of have two options. Do we look at how the world does darkness? Because everyone goes through darkness. doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, an atheist, or a bigger Christian than Jesus himself. Everybody goes through dark seasons in their life. It's just called the human experience. The tension is we tend to be Americans more than Christians. We want to fight our own battles. We want to be a self-made man and a self-made woman. Notice what is happening in this text back in chapter 8, in the, the final verses leading into chapter 9. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spirits, kind of getting some weird stuff here, but hang with me, who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instructions and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light at dawn. So if you're just looking within yourself, right, you have no hope is what the scriptures are saying, right? Distress, and and here's what happens when we live life on our own terms. We become very arrogant, and arrogant often leads to despair. And so if we make our lives about just grinding it out for ourselves and it doesn't work, we often lead our lives into despair. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. Looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. When they, uh, when they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, they will thrust 
into utter darkness. Now, here's what I love about Christianity. You don't have to read its mind, okay? I am not a mind reader. Uh, the most difficult question I can ask my wife is, where do you want to go eat? Uh, because then I have to figure out where she wants to go eat, right? That's the conversation. I would just tell me what's on your mind, right? Well, that's not the mystery of love. That, okay, that's, a, that's another sermon. The reason why I love Christianity is because it tells you the truth as best as it, see, as it sees it, which I believe is the truth. See, Christianity doesn't say, oh, the world isn't that bad. Christianity doesn't say, oh, everyone at their core, of, the core base of humanity is really good, right? Uh, no. Have you ever seen any, like, reality show where you put a bunch of strangers in a room? Yeah, no, that doesn't really work, does it? Christianity says there is sheer and utter darkness, and if left to your own devices, you're going to do whatever you want to do. Merry Christmas. <laughs> but that's true. It's true for you, and it's true for me. One of my favorite pastors and writers, Tim Keller, says this, the Bible never counsels indifference to the forces of darkness, only resistance. The Bible doesn't say, come here, darkness, let me give you a big hug, and let me rub your back, and, and we'll just paint this rosy picture for people. No, no, the Bible says that darkness is real. Sin is real. And the gospel does not run from darkness. It, heads, it goes headlong into darkness. Tomorrow, Lord willing, you will wake up. I hope. And you will open presents, I hope. Uh, and uh, some of you are going to open presents that will be a tough pill to swallow. You might, you might open a book, and uh, you might turn it over, and it says, oh, 20 ways to lose 20 pounds in 2020. <laughs> Thanks, honey, right? And God forbid you would get a Peloton, am I right? <laughs> right? Like the gift of health is so, you know, offensive. There are some gifts at Christmas that are really kind of tough to swallow. Grace is really tough to swallow. Because if we really need grace, then that means I'm not as good as I look tonight before you. And I feel like I look pretty good. I'm feeling myself. <laughs> and if I need grace, that means, and here's the most offensive word that you can tell an American, that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner? Like, why do we need to celebrate Christmas anyways? Oh, that's right, because we're not faithful to God. We rebelled against God in the garden. We rebelled against God all throughout the Old Testament. And he sent the law, the Torah, prophets, men and women saying, Repent. Stop screwing up your life. God's going to bring judgment on you. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. And we wouldn't listen, would we? The answer is no. Because when we fight our battles, we have to decide, are we fighting our battles on our own, or is somebody else going to fight them for us? 
There's an interesting verse in verse 5 of chapter 9 that reads this. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. There's a good Christmas card. Will be fuel for the fire. What the writer is saying is that there is darkness in the land and there is darkness in America. And there's a war that has to be fought. And we're like, okay, let's get weapons of mass, destru- uh, mass destruction. Let's get guns. Let's call up Chuck Norris and Rambo. And let's, let's take whatever it's coming out. And what does the scripture say? Burn it all. Take all of your guns, your tanks, your swords, your helmets, your shields, and burn it all. What? There is a war at Christmas that you will never win if you fight on your own. You see, in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah doesn't tell us yet who's going to fight for us, but he does if you hang a little longer and get to chapters 42 through 55, with, which if you're an English major or you love poetry, there are beautiful chapters in Isaiah 42 through 55, basically called the suffering servant chapters that describe the Messiah and he doing our fighting for us. In Isaiah 53, 5, Isaiah writes these words. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. See, friends, you don't have to hide from darkness in your life. You don't have to run from it. Because the gospel is literally the only religion that says God will come for you from the heavens and face your sin, your darkness, things that you have done, and things that have been done to you, and he will face it head on. You see, there is a war and a battle that you know nothing about. You're too educated to believe in that stuff. That there is a sin dividing you from the love of the Father. But in the goodness of the gospel, according to Isaiah, it is Jesus in chapter 9 that is the light in the land of darkness. Now, Isaiah is ready to tell us about the coming of Jesus in verse 6. He says, For to us a child is born, To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus is the light and the darkness in the text of Isaiah chapter 9. And in this text, he's described as the Mighty God and the everlasting father. In other words, Jesus doesn't want to be your homeboy. He doesn't want to be your best friend. He doesn't want to be your cousin. He wants to be your God. And he gives us a really clear line. 
and he'll do your he'll do the fighting for you on your behalf. He's already done it at the cross. And Christmas is a beautiful reminder that though Christmas is our fault, Jesus has made it about his redemption. And secondly, Jesus is called a wonderful counselor and a prince of peace. What makes Jesus a good counselor? Because he, like us, was born of a woman, lived a perfect life on our behalf, and died the death that we should have died. There is nothing, listen to me, friends, there is nothing in your life that you can go through that Jesus can not only sympathize, but also empathize with. So may you be reminded this Christmas season that though life is dark and hard and really difficult sometimes, the gospel goes right into the darkness. And Jesus himself has come to be a light into a world where people are walking around aimlessly looking for meaning. And in the words of J.R. Tolkien, Jesus is the light for us when all light goes out. Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful promise at Christmas. That though, is, that though that there is sin and darkness and brokenness, you are a light that reminds us we don't have to fight our own battles. We don't have to go through life alone. That you're not a cheesy fairy tale story. You are grounded in history. You physically were born. You lived. You died. And you rose again three days later. And though we should have been faithful to you and not had to celebrate Christmas, you still come for us in the midst of the war that rages inside of us. We thank you for that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.